As you heard the intro music, it's time for another Oscar race checkpoint, another podcast brought to you by Mike, Mike and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike in a moment. Uh, a big episode today as the New York Film Festival starts winding itself up. We were able to catch the French exit, which I know there was a lot of. I got yelled at for using the V <laughs> in a uh, hashtag by our buddy Ryan McQuaid there. So I guess we'll call it French exit. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But that's going to be the centerpiece of this uh, episode today for us as we have some other stories on the back end. Mike, French Exit is what's the uh, what we're going to talk about at most today here. Yeah, we got a couple big new trailers from some studio movies that we'll get in 2026 and, and beyond. <laughs> but no, we finally got our first look at a couple major contenders uh, with News of the World, with Mank, Promising Young Woman gave its second trailer. We'll have a few extra little stories there after we kind of do a non-spoiler review of French Exit. But uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. There's more film festivals coming. I'm real excited about my Middleburg and AFI slate. So we figured figured uh we're you know you and i are recording this one a little earlier than we than we had planned uh you were all jacked up after watching a uh, a game tonight and uh so i uh reluctantly went along with you and i i fear what's going to happen because this is not our usual recording time but yeah. we'll see yeah i share your concerns and we'll see what happens here but uh yeah i'm a little unhinged i'm feeling nice i'm feeling good let's uh let's get into it and you kind of you underscored the most important part here non-spoiler for our centerpiece review here of french exit so if you have not seen it uh don't worry we're not going to give anything away but we will be holding it up to our oscars lens and and talking about it as in depth as we can without giving anything away so uh with that michael let's let's talk about what we had in this very unique and, and for me surprising movie so if i told you a few years ago that you one of your favorite films of oscar podcasting life was going to be about an aging manhattan socialite living on what's barely left of her inheritance and she moves to a small apartment in paris with her son and cat you would have said i don't want that future i don't need that future stay the hell away from me other person named same name as me correct yes you love you absolutely adored this movie michael so i'm really excited to hear your takes here i am as shocked as anybody that i am as high on it as I was, and I said to you in talking about it, which I can't give away, but had it not been for one aspect of this film, this might be my favorite movie of 2020 so far. I was enamored with a lot of things, and it was not quite the tale that I thought we were getting. I thought we were going to get this uh, reluctant mother-son typical, you know, love story, familial love story, essentially. Uh, but it's much more than that. I was quite surprised and happy with it, yeah. It's a biting satire about yeah. wealthy people. It is an ensemble cast somehow. And I thought it was going to be much more isolated between Lucas Hedges and Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was going to be a lot more cat. Maybe it was just the <laughs> bearable amount of cat for us dog people. Right. Could be. And I think, you know, you being that, you know, small town lawyer with big city dreams kind of, you know, <laughs> from the sticks there. I think your kind of contempt for wealthy people moving from beautiful, big, beautiful cities one to another. But again, it's a biting satire. So I, I think this is in your wheelhouse. Plus, you add to that fact, you know, we grew up 
with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer being like the hottest movie star on the planet. So that brings back all kinds of nostalgia for the both of us. So th- this movie, I-, I think, is is we're the demographic for it, right? Yeah. Somehow. Uh, again, uh, yeah. Somehow is what I would focus on there because. I didn't expect to go into this being as sold on it as I was. And I like just to me, uh, we're giving it away a little bit. I know I'm jumping the gun, but I will be borderline offended if Michelle Pfeiffer doesn't hear her name based on what she did. I mean, she, she especially in this vacant year of 2020, she kind of, for me, for what she does in this movie, has to be in the best actress category. Never mind conversation. She has to be nominated, I think. Awards Watch called it a, quote, performance for the ages. Variety just released their review a couple minutes ago saying that this is going to be the performance that she's remembered for. Hollywood Reporter was all over it. So the superlatives are starting to come. You and I texted each other right after the movie, and I I was like, that's better than Francis was this year. And you were like, by a mile. Yeah. And I I agree. I think when you kind of... You know, step back and realize what she did. There are like five or six memorable scenes where mm-hmm. she is going off, and she's got the range uh, to, to. But she sells you on it. It's not just her, you know, chewing scenery. But then, Mike, she's also got this movie star charisma, and it's this charisma built up on a career of being this badass, just knife in your face kind of uh, you know action hero slash just i'm gonna throw ev- all the stank i have on every word oh it's some of these movies. yeah but she's got that here i mean she's got contempt for the world she's living in mm-hmm. and, and she's got every defense mechanism in the world you know in, in front of her that she's that's protecting her until it's you know they're torn down one by one as the movie goes along. So I mean this is this is a performance that uh, I do agree with the superlatives on. She doesn't seem like this type of character. <laughs> I mean at least like from interviews and stuff I've seen. I, I don't know where this is where she's able to pull this from, and that makes it more impressive to me because we've talked a couple times on here about how it seems like the the best performances are when actors find a piece of themselves within the characters and just turn that piece up to eleven or twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see Michelle Pfeiffer as this person. Maybe she was this is a life that she could have lived had her personality gone down a different path but I, I don't see that in this and that makes it more impressive to me because I feel like she's really just giving her all to this character that is this contemptuous just she's used to being in the headlines used to being under scrutiny doesn't care devil may care type of personality that's just she knows she's failing in the public's eye and yet she's kind of embracing it at the same time without being a train wreck and having this debonair class to her I just see her standing up to Tony Montana. I just see yeah. her, you know, going toe to toe with Michael Keaton. I just see her, you know, kind of half falling for John Malkovich, but then really hating him at the same time. <laughs> but I also see her, you know, just like really loving and hating again in the same breath Daniel Day Lewis from The Age of Innocence. I watched all of those films in the past year, and I see all of that charisma and that that just nastiness that she can bring and she knows she's bringing it so you're right she's a sweetheart in in real life but she's got that glare in this movie Mm -hmm. it does not stop but it it kind of morphs with the scene 
and and the veneer gets cracked as it goes along but i'm just really thrilled for her and i'm thrilled at these early reviews i think we can hop on that bandwagon as we started to last night you were on all over twitter saying it's it's, she's got to be there and i i would agree with you she's got to be there at the end of the day forget her as like that fifth sixth nominee she should be contending for a while she should be the talk of the category right now i right now based on what's come out she, for me, again, I, I know this is my opinion, but she should be the front runner for everyone to look up to. And she plays, her character's name is Frances Price. And, you know, my take was she's the best Frances to come out in award season in the best actress category thus far. <laughs> and that's me just being a jerk. But You're I, being a jerk there. Yes. Right. I, I mean, nothing to, it's not to say Frances McDormand was disappointing or anything. I just was enamored with this Michelle Pfeiffer performance, truly. Well, a lot of great pundits out there have talked about the repeat winners and how good a performance that has to be in a usual year i know you talk about last year with renee zellweger neither of us were really on board for that but if we're going back to kind of the you know the typical way of life for an academy voter they're they're not necessarily voting for that repeat trophy unless it blows you out of the water daniel day lewis style or francis mcdormand style and three billboards correct so right Maybe this is a, a point where Michelle Pfeiffer, after going 0 for 3, after not being nominated since 1993 for Love Field. Did you even ever, you, have you heard of Love Field? Does I she mean, play Catwoman in that? We stopped doing our retrospectives, folks, <laughs> and we kind of sl- been slacking on some Oscar history. Obviously, the fabulous Baker Boys, Dangerous Liaisons are her, another t- uh, her other two. She's ranked third on Eric Anderson's list via awards watch right now. You know, again, I think I think this is a situation where a lot of our friends on Twitter are talking about her kind of as the middle of the pack or the fourth or the fifth nominee ready to be boxed out. Because what? Because they think this movie is not going to contend across the board? Maybe that's the next conversation here, Mike. Well, okay, sure. And if it even even if that is the case, then I think there's a conversation you could have about Valerie Mahaffrey's performance in this as well, in the supporting actress category. I mean, but this is also part of the gripe and the grudge I have against, and Eric Weber has been on the show griping about the same thing, but like pundits who rank movies that they haven't seen, that just rank on expectation, Michelle Pfeiffer wasn't, one right. of those. I don't names. think Anderson's doing that. By the way, I think he only ranks what he's seen. Right. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not accusing anyone. That's that's fine. But pundits who do that, like, it doesn't leave much wiggle room for a surprise name to break into the field, and it makes it that much harder. If you just go on merit, I don't understand how, in a vacuum, based on merit, putting these performances, you have to say this can at least contend with Francis McDormand and Nomadland, right? I think it's on the level of. All the best we've seen this year for certain, and I have it in the pole position. I have her number one by a lot, in my opinion, and we we both do. But I would agree that Frances McDormand is doing advanced level acting in Nomadland. For, for, so yeah, oh, again, I'm not taking anything against away from her. She was great in that. Somebody pref- prefers that performance than this, you know, this like greatest mixtape play all the hits from Michelle Pfeiffer in this performance. I I get it. Don't don't get me wrong. Absolutely. Uh, But I do think she's top tier. So that that is exciting for us. We got to see Vanessa Kirby. That's supposed to be great pieces of a woman. Those seem to be the most buzzed about performances thus far. And the category, of course, has Viola Davis coming, uh, you know, 
back with a vengeance she probably should have won the category from fences even though she won the oscar for supporting anyway look we have a, a polished film a much more polished and stylish movie than i would have expected mike from the director of the lovers with uh, tracy letts there a couple years ago deborah winger this is a film adapted from the novel by the screenwriter the same same novelist and screenwriter patrick dewitt to me, this feels like a best adapted screenplay contender as well. This movie is Wes Anderson scoring and directing a David O. Russell script with PTA <laughs> settings in the background. I don't understand the tone that this movie was able to strike because it is farcical and comical, but the characters are so real in dealing with such gritty, real situations. It's it's. An unbelievable tightrope job. They're able to walk this tightrope and be able to find this tone. Uh, I'm thoroughly impressed in many aspects, I would agree. Screenplay being among them. It feels like the characters from American Psycho just lived too long. They, like, outlived... They're no, that's, that's what I said when it when in the early in the movie when Michelle Pfeiffer's doing something I'm like oh so this is just her character from what lies beneath but she just kept going after Harrison Ford was done away with you can't help but harken back to all her other characters right. that's what I was saying before but there's there's real narrative momentum here which I was surprised about the flashback scenes there's a couple of them they really work they really charge the script and they really pay things off I thought they did a nice job there I, I also enjoyed at least for my part, when the plot got a little weird, when they seemed to like extend the tone, like you didn't <laughs> think the movie was going to change tones to where we wound yeah. up towards the end of this film. I enjoyed that. I think I, yeah, I know look, you were like, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't exactly work for me, but I, ad- I admire the, the chutzpah it takes to go <laughs> in that direction at that time. And I will assure you this, we're not spoiling anything because it's impossible to see what that coming. Absolutely impossible. But however, I do think dog lovers will tolerate it, and cat <laughs> lovers will get. A, you get some good cat scenes in here. Yes. So I think that's the main thing, right? I mean, it just you know, we always like to parse things. Dog lovers, right? Cat it's, lovers it's, in terms it's, of we like Oscar. to boil it down to the basics of what's important here on MMO. Yeah. But no, this is a satire about economics. This is a satire about you know the 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 wealthiest one percent. I mean, it really is something with teeth at the end of the day, which I think is going to play well upon rewatch. It doesn't come out, Mike, until uh, February 12th in theaters. So Sony pushed it back, I think, a couple times. So this is a Sony Picture Classics uh, release. They have The Father. They have The Truffle Hunters. They have a couple different films. Columbia has Happiest Season. Everything's getting moved around for Sony and Columbia TriStar there because I think they want to release in theaters. They also have distribution rights, St. Maud, Zola, Ammonite. Anyway, I got a big long list here. Sony's got a big slate. We just don't know when we're going to get it. It's going to be interesting, too, to see. And this was something that, that was popping up on Twitter earlier today uh, as we record this on Sunday, as a matter of fact. Just because of the uncertainty of 2020 and because studios, especially major studios, who don't have the revenue to rely on that they would in usual years, who maybe aren't 
in a position to back the films or the performances they were counting on being able to back in 2020. Now they have to kind of pivot and back whatever happens to get groundswell support and whatever happens to make news in the zeitgeist. It's going to be interesting to see how the major studios do position themselves. Is this something Sony is going to be able to put their full weight behind in Michelle Pfeiffer's performance? And, and so they are, can they smell Oscars gold with this? And is that something that they would have, you know, if you asked them back last Christmas or last Thanksgiving, if they were planning on doing that, was that going to be the same answer you would get when it is happening now in reality? I, I, a lot of fascinating stuff to come up to see what the hell is actually going to fall in which way this award season. It, it's tough on Sony Pictures Classics because this is probably the most loaded category we've seen yet. It's, I mean, you almost got you know bona fide nominations across the board yeah. at this point i mean you have vanessa kirby winning mm-hmm. venice she's supposed to be extraordinary you have viola davis everybody i mean is buzzing like crazy about it and then we know we have francis mcdormand that is a surefire nominee correct yeah. i mean yes. we can't see her not getting nominated nope. so it's nope, already loaded we get a couple more then now we're now we're talking a serious uh log jam However, Sony Pictures Classics, have they've dealt with this before. They were the studio behind The Wife, right? They took Call Me By Your Name, Foxcatcher, films at this kind of level about, you know, subject matter, like Foxcatcher and The Wife, right? Those, that's subject matter that's not necessarily big box office. This is no, not niche. Necessarily... It's niche. It's niche exactly. artsy filmmaking. Yeah, absolutely. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing with Best International Films. They know what they're doing in terms of uh, overseas marketing, Never Look Away, pain and glory they, they really have the specialty box office down pat we're going to have another story later on about driving movie theaters i wonder if that'll play into this but french exit i think should be up for more things like you i think the ensemble is better than they're given credit for i definitely think the screenplay is top three right now and adapted no doubt about it let that get bumped uh, before we uh, we don't consider it there. So this movie is not necessarily in the wife territory with just Glenn Close, with just Michelle Pfeiffer yet. Here's the last question, though. Yeah. Does Michelle Pfeiffer start to bring that it's her time narrative to this campaign at any point? <laughs> when do people start mentioning her in that, that breath? Because she's had this illustrious career. I wonder if people kind of think she was such a movie star that she doesn't necessarily need the oscar to validate things or i don't know how they think of her does sony picture classics even want that as a narrative after what happened with the wife and glenn close and (laughs) going through that dance already a couple years ago I, i i there's always going to be an allure for the industry veteran especially one that spent a long time away from oscars recognition and prominence and nomination Mm -hmm. i don't see how that would hurt her in any way. Uh, is it necessary for her? No, because I think this performance, much like I thought Glenn Close's The Wife performance, is good enough to stand on its own legs. So I don't think it's going to be aided. I think if if it comes into play at all, I can only see it being a positive. Well, the, the superlatives coming out right now from the punditry, from us today, from a lot of people, I think are what need to continue for yes, Michelle Pfeiffer to be in that screener pile that has to be watched because, all right, Michelle Pfeiffer put a career-defining performance out there. And, and I think she did, and a lot of people are saying she did. So Academy members have to watch this one. I mean, I think that's our company line, and we'll stick to it, correct? Absolutely, a thousand percent. And just you try to focus on what 
the hell she is not saying or trying to say or saying on the slight. And I know that's kind of cliche to say and bring up, but it just because of the character she's playing in this, it's so important. And Lucas Hedges is kind of playing the, the more verbose and the more verbatim, you know, direct saying what he means. So he there, it's nice to see the interplay between the two of them, but it, man, it, it is so important. And you and I were even arguing, uh, discussing last night, what the hell does this line mean? It could mean a couple different things. I, for what, I've, what it's worth, I think you're right. I just, it might've gone over my head, but like, there's so much in the subtext of this that is just so juicy. And there's so much heart. I know, I know we've talked kind of maybe disparaged her character a little bit, but mm-hmm. she has so much heart in this character too, that really comes into play that I think might take you by surprise in its relatability. I really love this movie because it's not just that hard edge satire. She has right, these right. lifelong relationships that also need to culminate, right? She has all these friends. She has admirers that she will come into contact again. I mean, this is an ensemble cast and an unexpected one as far as I'm concerned. With Lucas Hedges, too, like, he's her son. He's rebelling against her. This is the perfect time for him to bell, rebel in, in his own passive, aggressive way, right? And he's got what I call this, like, blatant honesty of a of a wealthy person i don't give an f wealthy person right. <laughs> this there's a line in ted lasso i forget it but they mention that uh, this rich guy this rich uh, philanthropist slash womanizer ceo type right mm-hmm. uh divorced the woman who's in charge of the football club and he basically is so honest that she's like he's so honest that he's cruel and I feel like that's how the son is. And right. I, that's exactly that's what Michelle Lucas Hedges is. is playing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he has to be because Michelle Pfeiffer has to play so reserved in the moment she is interacting with other characters on screen. But she's much more relaxed when she's around her family. And it's just really, really a fascinating performance. Never mind what she does in the very, very last scene and what is coming out of her character's mouth and just. It's incredible. Uh, Your bottom line is the correct bottom line from where I stand. I really hope the Academy and anyone in any voting body finds this one in their screener pile and makes it a point to get to it. Again, we're going to want what we want this year. And I think what we want right now is Michelle Pfeiffer to get her first Oscar. Right. Correct? Right. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, I, we're going to be... It's 2020 has sucked. We need... <laughs> <laughs> we need some great picks. So, I mean, again, we got some heavy hitters still to come. So, I don't want to crown her yet. But... I, To me, she's atop the category. Yeah, I'm with you there, and we hope that uh, you guys will get a chance to to get your hands on French Exit as well. Certainly, if you have, if you will, if you do, we want to hear your thoughts. You can get at us on all our social medias. We can move on to some other big contender-like news. Uh, Mike, Pixar Soul will be released on Disney Plus on Christmas Day. That announcement came out earlier this week. Why aren't they charging an upcharge for this movie? It's uh, an interesting question because I'm also confused about it. It is a $150 million production budget, Mike, so it's not like this is a much cheaper property than Mulan. I mean, you would think that they would try it again, $30 premium. Was Mulan – I understand – I'm not going to rub it in. I'm not going to say I told you so. But hey, look, I know Mulan was a financial flop. We get that. We The numbers reflect maybe, you know, what the numbers are what they are. Let's say that. But is Disney scared of not enough eyes getting on Soul after Mulan did what it did financially? Does Disney know that this is their Oscars player and so they don't want to have any restrictions? Are the Disney Plus subscriptions down? Are they lower than they thought they were? Like, this is very, very bizarre to me. 
I was reading that they have over 60 million right now subscribers. So Disney Plus is doing just fine. I think they're the second biggest streamer out there right now. Which if makes not sense. Amazon. I don't know. I think, but they're doing well. And they're going to have a December now with Soul, Mulan, which will hit for free on mm-hmm. Disney Plus, and WandaVision, plus The Mandalorian right. uh, Season 2 that comes out the end of October, plus their entire library. And most of their stuff is starting to come back to them, even though they're still doing business elsewhere but i do think disney understands streaming economics more than they did at the beginning i think Mm. a lot of their moves taking their box office dollars their production budgets that you know that these are not sunk costs when they go into the streaming service we've we've seen what netflix has spent netflix has spent 20 billion or 15 billion and they made 20 last year or something like that so I don't think Disney looks at this as just a total waste of money. I think no. they're hoping that you have those four things on Disney Plus. This could be a Christmas gift. This could be something that is a must own at least for a, a month, if not longer, uh, in, in the winter. It's definitely something that every Academy member, every voting, anyone that has you know anything about the Oscar season this year is going to need. You're going to have to see Soul. It's going to be a major player. It's probably already got one category win to its name, regardless of what happens from this point on. But look, good for Disney+, Plus, bad for theaters, and if Disney can ever find a way to quantify the dollars something like Soul does give them and make them when they don't have to charge extra for it or it's an upcharge or an upsell or a premium add-on or whatever you want to call it. Like if, if they're able to, and I'm sure they have people that can do this, if they're able to figure out the money Soul going for quote-unquote free on their streaming service gets them, that could be really bad for theaters long-term. The last thing in the world theaters need is for Disney to ever have the thought that they can do just fine without them. So on the one hand... It's nothing new for theaters. I mean, mm-hmm. this has been a bad omen for theaters forever. Sure, I mean, right. think about what The Irishman, what uh, what Netflix is doing with the big uh, Chris Evans, Hemsworth movie, whatever that is, Russo Brothers movie, right? right? The I don't remember the name. I, don't, I forget <laughs> the name, too. But I will watch it when immediately when it comes out on Netflix, right? Because it's that kind of level appointment viewing as right. a soul. So you're right. I think... I think the economics are bad for theaters right now across the board, no matter what. I think the fact that studios are going to make this next evolution like Netflix did and start sinking big budget dollars into original movies, it was inevitable. Yeah, but it's the future now, you know, like (laughs) Disney's going to test what's going on here. They're going to use this time to test what's going on. If they lose a little money, they lose a little money. They've lost a little money with Mulan, it seems, correct, because... It only made, I think, seventy million right now at the box office, and at best ninety million. So that's one sixty on a two hundred million dollar budget. Probably add another three hundred, uh, another hundred for marketing. So it's it made it's going to make more money VOD in the states when it expanded. It's going to make more money uh, globally VOD and and some more in theaters that'll trickle in. So it's going to lose a hundred million dollars though. Right. Are they going in for that kind of loss for Seoul? I don't think so. I, I think can't imagine. Have a plan. Right. Yeah. I can't imagine that's the plan right now for Disney is to, they have to be thinking this makes them money somehow, whether that's just in Christmas gift subs or I, I don't some kind of ad. Well, it's all about I don't subs, know. right? I mean, it's yeah. all about subs. So right. if they're adding 10 million subscribers or five, even 5 million subscribers, they're making their money back and then some. 
I mean, if this, if this movie plus Mulan plus WandaVision plus everything else they got going on, they add, you know, holiday subscribers, then, you know, seven, even if it's not the bundled price, $7 a month, $70, uh, I can't do math, $84 a year. <laughs> that's big And weathering, weathering the subscription storm like they have, uh, 60 million subs, if that's the number worldwide for Disney having months of not adding anything new other than, you know, a Milan for $30 or trickling in this and that. I know they had some fun kids movies come out that went straight to the service, but these are big names, premier names coming out now. I mean, Mandalorian is a, is a tentpole show for them. Obviously soul is a huge, not only Oscars, but also family pleaser. This is a big deal. And we did get the first looks at soul as it came out and doing the BFI London film festival. And wouldn't you know it, Pixar seems to have another smash hit. Yeah. So we're hearing that it's a top level, top echelon Pixar film, Mike. This is not just going to be a best animated film contender. This is going to be an original score contender, if not front runner. John Batiste, he is uh, he's putting a lot of jazz into this movie. Uh, a lot of original compositions there. So this is going to get extra noms than people are thinking. We we've been yep. talking about the buzz heading into this year, especially in a diluted field where this could get that crossover best picture nom, perhaps. So I, I, I do think that's still in play. I, well, I think anything is in play with 2020. Absolutely, I agree with you there. As far as other things that might be in play for Best Picture nominations of themselves, we had a couple trailers, like also Mike teased you about at the top of this episode that debuted and gave us our first looks at some supposed and presumed heavy hitters, the first of which was Mank that dropped... This looked pristine to me. It looked absolutely immaculate. I'm already in love. I cannot wait to see it. And that probably means it should win Best Picture, but will be upset by something. Everyone else is stupid enough to find a masterpiece, but which in reality is nonsensical garbage. I'm not bitter. You are as cynical (laughs) as you've ever been. Uh, And as I guilt you, to the ground uh let me kick you in the balls while you're down there no look i i don't know if this movie is going to deliver and be what you think it is again how so i i want to get the most insufferable tone i can think of when i say this (laughs) michael when i'm when i read the the biography of uh the uh mankowitz brothers no, I, I look. the The story of their life has some ugly Hollywood history attached to it. So, a that could lead to quite the parade of sadness, or b it could just be revolting kind of stuff. I mean, there's Me Too movement, sure, nightmares happening in that age of Hollywood, and it, and it's all over the 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 book I, I I listened to this year about the Mankiewicz brothers. So. I don't know if that's happening, if that's going on simultaneously with the Citizen Kane years. I do know this is a situation where the the Mankiewicz, uh, or Herman Mankiewicz is standing up to big money and big mm-hmm. media uh, with uh, William Randolph Hearst, who's played in, in a terrifying way by Charles <laughs> Dance. But I'm not sure. I, I don't know what we're getting with this movie. I don't think it's going to be a black and white Netflix version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I would be surprised. I would be happy, but I'd be surprised. I don't know that I'm expecting that, uh, to be honest. And I, look, if, if movies are truly a reflection of their time, then 
it's not necessarily something Fincher should shy away from if that's going to be the story of this either, you know? I mean, those hot-button topics are just as... They're hopefully more relevant today uh, than when they happened back then. So it could be a, a, a way to pr- kind of bring the present into onto the screen, even though this is a story reflecting the 1940s. We've also seen Fincher deal with real-life tragedy and awfulness and horror in Zodiac, and it was an incredibly watchable movie and something very appealing, uh, even probably more so to a wider audience than you would think something Mm -hmm. like that, although true crime does do really well, so maybe that's not exactly true now that I think about it. But regardless, I'm just excited to see Fincher sink his teeth into something that he clearly has love for, Again, and, and, and see him back in the film world. I mean, he's it's it's a film bro comment, but he's one of my favorites. His father spent like a lifetime trying to get this script made and never could get right. it made. So that that's another red flag that I wonder, you know, how, I don't know, how four-quadrant this material is. So I, I would doubt, I would highly doubt that this is going to be one of those movies that uh, plays exactly like you know, a typical best picture winner. I know a lot of people are putting it out there in that realm. I would, Interesting. I don't think it's going to play like the artist is what I'm trying to say. I don't think it's going to play like Argo and give everybody so much nostalgia that they're on nostalgia overload. And this is a Hollywood version of La Dolce Vita or Great Beauty, even if it's got some hard edges to it. Uh, I, you know, Amanda Seedfried has got all the charisma in the world, but the platonic affairing going on or whatever the hell's happening there, I kind of zoned out a little little bit during this period in the audiobook anyway i do (laughs) that's not a good sign it's not a good sign but i i do think there's you know there's some messed up stuff going on there as well so again i i think this movie's got harder edges than people are are thinking about right now i i love the trailer though mike if we can get into that i think that this is a lot of fun there's two cuts of the trailer there's a two minute and or two two minute and 30 second and then there's like the the one teaser so i watched those both i thought they're both uh they gave us some good scenes and they gave us a lot of uh fun clips there i thought there was a a decent amount of time shown on set in those trailers too and you do get the background you get the personal life of the mankiewicz character you actually start off at least in one of them uh with with him laid up in a hospital bed, which I thought was kind of intriguing. I'd, I'd like to know the story there of what happened. I know nothing about the personal history of the man. Uh, so this is all going to be, you know, un unhoed ground for me. I just don't know anything about it other than obviously I know about Citizens Kane. But th- th- again, it's all black and white. It was very clean and crisp, and it seemed very fast and witty, which leaned itself into the 1940s era delivery and presentation that the entire trailer was in there's some old-timey production values Mm -hmm. and there's definitely some phrases from those times i mean (laughs) nobody makes a monkey out of william randolph hearst i mean that's people don't say that shit no more for good reasons for (laughs) i mean right i mean it's it's a stupid thing to say but i do like the 1940s audio here and i wonder if sound designers that will be completely irresistible to them and they will nominate that no matter what i think in a year where we're so vacant like we are it's gonna demand consideration in a lot of categories because it's one of the few anticipatory blockbuster type movies that are actually going to make it to us yeah i i don't usually forecast the uh, sound design category (laughs) 
I, I probably shouldn't here, but uh, in other years past, I think we've had robust forecasts. I've followed them at the very least, mm-hmm. and it always seems like there's ten movies. Everybody right now, it's it's you're you're right. It's scorched earth in that category. They're saying Sound of Metal is going to be a sound design uh, contender. They're saying Mank <laughs> right now is going to be a sound design contender. Like everybody's like, well, Tenant was the biggest and coolest sound that we heard in the movie right. theaters, but we also hated it, but we right. still should nominate it because it's all we got. Like, I literally just saw on one of the major trades, I forget where it was, it was sound design, do we still have to nominate Tenant? was basically the story. <laughs> <laughs> now, I didn't have as big of a problem with the Tenant sound as other people. Anyway, I didn't think we were going to talk about sound design in this section, but this is an indication, I think, that Mank is really going to hold a lot of sway and it's, it's going to be on people's radars immediately, obviously. And and Andrew was talking to me. I don't know if I should say this. But the cat He's come on our show 11 times. We've had him on the show 11 times mm-hmm. now. So I think I'm just going to steal what he texted me and say it on the pod. Okay. Sorry, Andrew. He says, you know, he's hearing that it's Netflix's number one contender and that people are really building a, a, a – I should have said sources said, but everybody would just known it was Andrew. <laughs> anyway. Well, I don't think that's all that surprising either. It's and- their crown jewel. Yeah. Right, and, and even with the the murmur about the trial of the Chicago Seven coming out and coming out through Netflix, I, it, this just see like Gary Oldman about Hollywood, even though it may not be about Hollywood, like you're kind of warning us uh, about one of the greatest movies of all time. This just seems so ripe for Academy fodder that I would have been, I, I would still be very surprised, even if this thing disappoints. Mm-hmm. As long as it's not a colossal failure, I think it has to at least be talked about in many categories, uh, even if it's not everything it's building, being built up to be, even if it is kind of touching on that kind of icky subject matter like it may lean into, like you're kind of suggesting. Well, yeah, it could go much darker than we expect, right. and that will turn off the uh, Academy voters into voting it into the into the winner's circle in many cases, but right. we'll probably love it more than everybody else, <laughs> and then it'll do exactly what you said when we started this segment. But I do think it's fascinating that this momentum for the movies about the great movies being made, like that is happening like crazy. We just heard Oscar Isaac and Jake Gyllenhaal they're going to play Francis Ford Coppola and uh, oh my god I wrote it down later in uh, Evans Robert Evans thank you we have a situation where Ben Affleck's making a movie about making Chinatown we have <laughs> making of the Godfather and we yeah. have Mank here I it's mean, peak it, Hollywood able to wax poetic about itself making itself it's not really new because all right from the disaster artist on way back I mean you go to back to Ed Wood I mean there's I'm sure there's a million more examples right. I would think right they're not coming to my brain right now because again we're recording at a strange time folks <laughs> but i do think this movie is a part of a new trend that's really hitting hard over the next few years movies about making great movies i'll tell you i'm excited for it though it's it's movies about i'm i'm a sucker like any academy voter is because movies about hollywood hollywood movies about hollywood i i, I love that genre i love the, i don't care if it's niche i don't care i think it's just so fun to play in and just see even though they're not historical documents kind of somebody's best interpretation of what mm-hmm. happened behind the scenes i it's just fun for me i love it and i am sure i'm not alone there 
Dolomite, of course, is another one. Yeah, there you go. So there we go. go. I mean, we've covered a bunch just on this show since we started. So we know there's a lot of film sets from hell. I hope we get some of those too, (laughs) by the way. Just listen to that episode. They are remaking Cleopatra, so fingers crossed, you know? Well, that's what I was hoping. I was hoping that Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins would be making, you know, Cleopatra, the making of Cleopatra. Right, but a then true again. to life. If they're going to remake Cleopatra, this was the right. joke I made earlier, they should keep it as true to life as possible and just have a budget that's just astronomical. But Gal Gadot is like almost six feet tall and would kick our asses like up and down the field. And, uh, you know, Elizabeth Taylor was, she, she was, she was small. She was, you know, the, 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 I'm just saying athletically again, I always do the tail of the tape. There's no way she's playing Elizabeth Taylor, Gal Gadot. My response is, are we sure Gal Gadot isn't actually just Cleopatra? (laughs) I didn't read the article. She might really be Wonder Woman is what I'm trying to say. Gal Gadot, she's in that great of shape. Anyway, Mike, we got News of the World. That was the other humongous trailer of a humongous contender as far as we know. What did you think of this one? Uh, The first thing I thought was that it said in theaters this Christmas, so we'll see about that. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not probably not happening. The cynic in me is saying, well, it's going to take a pandemic year with no theatrical releases for Tom Hanks to reclaim Oscars glory. But the film lover, I can see where this trailer is hinting at kind of a true grit type comparison. It makes a lot of sense based on what's in here. Yeah, but I thought after reading the book that Mank was going to have harder edges in the trailer, but it seems like it's this fun, you know, silly movie. Oh, you silly drunk. You're hilarious. <laughs> no, I figured this would be the movie that was going to be lighter and fun and look at the old time, 1800s, right. and Tom Hanks is going to give a story about America. And yeah. this little girl and him are going to take a road trip, and he's going to deliver the news no matter what. Right. No, this is about a roving band of cowboy pedophiles. They're trying to get at this girl. This is News of the World Fury Road. I can't believe yeah. this is the story. It's yeah, terrifying. No, I didn't see this coming. I didn't see the... I, I mean, true great. I thought it was going to be Tom Hanks overcoming the odds to deliver newspapers. <laughs> Or like get a me- like a 1917, but even further back, get a message to the other side or something like that. I didn't see the Terminator aspect coming out of this. No, I thought at the end of the movies you're like also watch the Post, which is a movie I did. And, you know, he would be the he would, uh, what what's their names? The, he was the son of the other uh, the guy from All the President's Men. The, you know the uh, famous uh, Deep editor. Throat? No, the famous editor oh, of the oh. Washington Post. That's who he played. Ben. Uh... Ben Bradley? Ben, the spotlight guy was the son of Ben Bradley. He was Ben Bradley. <laughs> there you go. So that's, yeah, I, I, like, I thought we were getting that here. I am a little surprised that this is about a newsman who's trying to return this girl to her last known living relatives, I guess, on the other side of the country during this this wartime. There is, like, these outsiders that either want her for the sex trade or for child labor or whatever. As far as the little girl goes, Elena Zengel, she's going to be playing this character. She gets a chance to steal the show and chance to kind of wow all of us. Brooklyn Prince, uh, Julia Butters last year, that's happened. Except Zengel is already a bona fide established movie star. She's actually won some best actor and actress categories overseas in Germany specifically. She's very talented, and I can't imagine her reprising a similar part uh, that she had in System Crasher, which uh, we reviewed earlier in the year and just really floored us. It made me cry. It really was 
a, a great movie about the the foster care system, about so many caring people involved in that, and it terrified me. And she was just a you know for, as a as a child actor, one of the better performances I've seen. You know, unless she's going run Lola run on these, I guess she has to maybe. Yeah, I mean that movie. I guess they cast the right girl actually, but I can't imagine her being such a a, a wackadoo as she was in that movie. Unfortunately, in System Crash, or but in this movie, News of the World. But I, I am again. excited to see her play against Tom Hanks though, because. Hanks, when he's on his A game, has a tendency to always like Matthew Reese in in what uh, the Mister Rogers movie. I was going to call it "Won't You Be My Neighbor," a beautiful day in the neighborhood. That's the best, one of the best Matthew Reese performances you or I has ever seen, and we're a big fan of his. But uh, Tom Hanks, when he's reaching down deep, has this tendency to always pull out stunning co-star performances. So. This is a huge opportunity, obviously, for someone as young as Elena Zengel, but I'm very excited to see what she can do, if she can make her own name for herself here. She should, and uh, she's got the chops, and Tom Hanks, of course, is a setup artist as much as he is a movie star, so I'm sure that'll happen. Uh, For folks that were wondering my big uh, kerfuffle earlier, uh, Tom Hanks did play Ben Bradley in The Post, and John Slattery, who was the boss in in Mad Men? yes. He played Ben Bradley Jr. in Spotlight. Of course he did. So in that cinematic universe, John Slattery is Tom Hanks' son. And this is, of course, the great, great, great Bradley uh, ancestor who is, is giving people the news of the world. I'm sure of it. So for those scoring at home, Tom Hanks is everybody's daddy. Uh, second trailer for Promising Young Woman also came out, Michael. This is really well regarded on Rotten Tomatoes. 92% of 48 reviews. Most of those reviews coming from Sundance. Focus features, Mike, they've been delaying this for a while now. I know you have been lamenting that fact because you have really wanted to see this. I was wondering if they were going to do the short window thing at AMC. I still think they will. Uh, if AMC is the only one open, ironically, by the way, if AMC is the only one open, will they do the Kajillionaire thing? We've we've heard about a bunch. We we reported it last week. A bunch of these focus features, some Blumhouse films. They're gonna do the short seventeen to twenty eight day window, and then they're gonna come to PVOD. This seems like it would do well that way. What what do you think of that? By the way, what do you think of the short window? Do you think they're just stepping on their toes and everybody will just wait? I, I, I think I admire the the willingness of AMC to do it right now because I'm certain that this pandemic year is not what they set that deal up for. Like they didn't, they set that up to kind of protect themselves against studios going right to PVOD at all times. Obviously, we talked about before that deal was in place with Universal what they were doing. So the fact that they're kind of willing to stick their necks out, but at the same time, studios aren't giving open theaters anything. So. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a zero-sum game at the end of the day. I don't think it's going to do much if it does go to theaters. I don't think it's going to do much for the theater if it goes to theaters, but it's going to be nice for the theater to have at least some kind of new title that they don't have to play Back to the Future for the 15th week in a row. You know what I mean? So it's all very up in the air, and especially if they do get this title and it is as disappointing as Eric Weber on our show said it was. And I know that's not the norm, and it's got high marks, it's got high reviews, and a lot of people that have seen it do love it and do have great things to say about it but if you do get a new new title in theater a new 2020 title and it is a disappointment man what a step back i think that'll be i just wonder if the model works for something like congillionaire for something like promising young young woman with how much is out there streaming and 
it really scares me. It scares me for movie theaters because they're yeah. they're taking a swing. They're trying to innovate. They're f- trying to figure it out. And, and AMC is desperate. We we know this. I didn't think I was I was skeptical of this from the beginning. I'll be honest with you. I've been to the movie theaters five times over the last few months, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I've wanted to do it. I, I've taken all precautions, but I've I've gone because uh, I felt I feel it's my my duty in a way. And I, I've been okay to do it, and I've been okay. Knock on wood. Cajillionaire is something I see in, on Fandango every day when I check, and I want to go see it, but I figured I was going to wait for three weeks, and I know it's coming out mid-October. Right. No offense, Cajillionaire, right. but I don't feel like they're releasing those box office numbers because it's doing gangbusters at the limited box office right well, now. They're if, not releasing the numbers because it's not doing well, so Promising Young, young Woman probably doesn't go that direction, right? Well, how well are they going to these types of movies going to do either? You know what I mean? Like you said, Period. you started that whole thing talking about how they're kind of niche, and they're, they're certainly not the broad appeal movies. They're certainly not the blockbusters that going to abide by that relationship so i i think the idea is to give theaters a little variety and maybe give a boost a, you know a couple bucks extra to the film itself but i don't think it's supposed to save either one either way so to, to me it kind of comes down to quality of film and again it, like i Kajillionaire has done okay. Promising young woman has good numbers maybe more eyes get on it abiding by this agreement than having no agreement in place at all I just wonder if the casual movie fan is looking at everything they got for free on Netflix and then they're looking at a niche film for 20 bucks on PBOD, even when it gets to that point, and they're like, all right, I can do my subscription thing and I can watch last year's Kajillionaire on Hulu or anything else. I, I just, I don't know what, I, they don't have it figured out, bottom line. No, and, well, I mean, look, if your thesis is that theaters are in trouble, I think We've spent, what, seven months now of episodes at this point talking about theaters are in trouble. Well, I'm just saying that movie theaters are in trouble, but also they're, they're swinging and missing on some of these yeah. models. And, yeah, and it's, a, it's a big, obvious miss. And, and not not for nothing, but we've been saying that they're probably going to miss on these models from the beginning. And it's it's just sad because we want the audiences for these movies. We want to see Promising Young Woman. We're going to see Kajillionaire in a, in a couple of weeks. Maybe we'll even review it for the mid-October or something at some point uh, in November at the very least uh, on one of our uh, yeah, man, you know, movie I'm bundle reviews in a way. So I just, I, I'm upset because I, I want a movie like this and Kajillionaire to do better. Uh, I guess, you know, we got on another tangent, but what did you think of this trailer at the end of the day? I, I thought it was giving me vibes of Hard Candy, Last yeah. House on the Left, that kind of level revenge horror movie with a lot of blood and guts and yuck. Uh, am I paranoid here? Am I just a wimp? What did you think? I have my fingers crossed that all of those things happen, so <laughs> I don't think you're paranoid. I think it's just a matter of taste and the whole reason. Like, I was never excited to see Promising Young Woman because I thought it was would be an Oscars contender. I was excited to see it because I think it's could spur important conversation. It could be a very big mirror. That's actually what this second trailer kind of says it is, which I think is extremely smart in its marketing. It's just going to be a, a way to focus on some problems that are still fucking happening today that shouldn't be. And I think that's great. And I, that's what I've always expected that movie to be. Anything beyond that or more than that or in addition to that, quality-wise or better, is just icing on the cake. So I, I don't know that my expectations have been tempered at all, even though they probably should be which is just usually the right concoction for me to be let down. But regardless, I'm very, very excited. And this second trailer made me as excited. 
Well, fingers crossed we'll we'll get to see it and fingers crossed we'll get to see it in theaters, by the way. Yeah. yeah. I hope uh, I hope things get better and we can go to the movies again. All right, last story today, Mike. Uh, an Academy rule change. It's not uh, an earth shaker, but uh, it does bring about a little speculation here for us. Drive-in theaters will make screened films eligible. So we're having an Oscars, is what this says to me. <laughs> Bake sale pending. We'll get to that as it comes up. We'll keep our, our, our eye on No, obviously. Look, you look, are just... Are, do you live under a bridge? I think you do. If I don't get to run the world... In my mind, I will make myself run the world. So that's where this is. This is all just a ways of, of self-therapy and coping with reality, man. Detachment is the answer. I don't have a, a landing spot for that, Eddie, seriously. We should probably talk about this story more. Right. More Please. Serious. All right, let's do Sorry, it. I'm sorry I brought up the... <laughs> uh, in all criticism. seriousness, though, Mike, did I miss something with this story? Because the last three days on film Twitter especially, there's been yeah. this current of people stating their claims as to why the Oscars need to go on and should have to go on and shouldn't cancel or reschedule. And it's all been too consistent to just, for me, to have been spurred up by somebody suggesting the Oscars get canceled. Like, was there an article or something I missed that the Academy was considering this? Or There's just no right answer for me because all of them wind up with you just like... You are either the person who started this and you're going to claim I'm not, no I'm not going to say you're going to claim just just an absolute you know ego maniacal Mike lunacy. when you're the voice of a generation people hang on your every no I fear that you sowed some seeds last week in your absolute cockamamie nonsense <laughs> that you spewed that I should have fought you harder on in the moment because of course I do not believe that the Oscars are just going to hand out honorary awards and of course I don't I mean a bake sale is fine I mean if you let's say you earn 10 million dollars like the NFL draft mm -hmm. great and you can save a couple theaters you can help people you should do that I mean the Oscars should do that yeah I, I do perform the problem is they don't have the run-up I mean they have a red carpet for a couple hours and they have this uh, and they have the show for a couple hours. Then again, they can make it really long if they wanted to. But bottom line is they don't have, like, the NFL draft is a four-night event, prime time, how many days in a row. It's not the same. Yeah. Well, you could. I mean, there are, you know, in a we don't know what they're doing this year. But in a regular year, there are the governor's dinner. There's all, There are events the week of that you could stretch this out over. But who knows what's, what's going to fly in 2020 or 2021 when we eventually do have this show. Yeah. The important thing is with this ruling saying that, movies going to drive-in theaters are now eligible Oscars movies. It's just another step in the direction of we're having an Oscars. They're not going to pass these kinds of rulings just to roll everything back at the end of the day, I wouldn't think. So yeah. it just a, puts it further in cement for me. But here is the worst part about this. You have predicted hard that there's going to be an Oscars because of the contracts, yeah. because of ABC. And, well, that's uh, why they're going to be there. Yes, that's why we're And then yeah. you have predicted even harder. Like, you have gone, like, Scientology attack the squirrels level, just <laughs> vicious last week, yeah. and saying that, you know, there's... there's no Oscars. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a tizzy to the point where I secretly start like this war on film Twitter, and you didn't tell me. And this is all just some 
you know, you're a rabble-rousing mastermind, if that's uh, You're getting possible. me dangerously close to taking credit for this. You went, no, but you could take credit either way. That's, that's right. That's damn, damnable thing you did. You went Mildred Hayes yeah. on this entire awards establishment this week, and you're doing it behind my back thinking I don't get it. And you put it all behind this charity bake sale idea with these non-competitive awards thing going on to try and take the fucking high road as well. I think you are a monster as well. <laughs> the thesis statement that I'm trying to get. To. Wow, this is your opus, my friend. <laughs> well, thank you for the credit <laughs> of thinking I'm able to be that devious. I, I do, in all sincerity. Yeah. The Oscars this year, they are happening because of the ABC contract. Yeah. They need to be a reason to donate and to save theaters. Like, you can't, and that's where the ba- the bake sale idea, if you didn't hear our last episode, it's it's said in jest, but the, the core of it is a fundraiser for yes. NATO, for the it theaters. It has to happen, doesn't it? You can't it hold an event crowning every streaming service the best in movies and then turn your back on theaters completely. And Ann Thompson suggested this six months, yes, six she months did. ago Tur- when we yes. interviewed her yes. from IndieWire there. I mean, we talked about it with her. So obviously this, that, you know, that is nothing new and, and we're piggybacking on, yes. on her statement, 100%. by the way. I agree. I think it needs to happen. I think they are foolish, but never mind. They're missing an opportunity if they don't go that route. They need I to agree. do something to help people. And I think they will at the end of the day. I got a couple interesting points where we can actually speculate on what's going to happen with the Oscars field here. Give it to me. All right. Number one, I do think there's going to be late breakers. I think the, uh, the Oscar Oscar calendar, the award season calendar is built for late breakers because we have Sundance happening at the end of January, early February. Right. So movies that did not expect to play at this Academy Awards from the following year that might be getting finished sooner than they thought might be involved. But otherwise you have movies that might've been thrown to the wayside, you know, during the course of this year that they Mm. didn't think they'd finish. And if somebody at a big studio sees that they could capitalize on an awards campaign, both monetarily and in terms of prestige, getting something nominated or getting something in the winner's circle, they might take advantage because now all they have to do is qualify you know, not with a PVOD run, not with something that hits a streaming service. All they got to do is play a couple big cities at drive-in movie theaters that no matter how bad the pandemic is, they will be open. So that opens up the yeah. field for a lot of movies. A lot of the movies that we talked about from Sony. Like, let's say the father has no way to make money unless they sell to a streaming service, but Sony doesn't want to do that, right? Now, Sony can put this out it, before the end of February at a couple drive-in theaters, qualify the, the film. If it didn't qualify for all the streaming stuff at the film festivals anyway, we probably should know that, but we don't. Anyway, it, something like The Father or Happiest Season, let's say. They put Happiest Season out in a couple drive-ins. Somehow the pandemic gets okay, or maybe they can capitalize on a PVOD run post-nominations mm. during award season. Now you have an outlet to make money with PVOD or theaters if the pandemic's, you know, if we get a vaccine, et cetera, right? You're making a lot of good points, and you brought up something to me. I think we've all, we've talked about a lot how Sundance is going to be just very bizarre for a lot of reasons because of the state of the awards calendar. It's going to be very interesting just to watch the studios at Sundance as well, because with all those variables going on that you just discussed, 
Do you think there's going to be a studio that releases something at Sundance, gets unexpected momentum, and then has to at last second cobble together a, a, a theatrical rollout or a drive-in movie rollout to compete for this year's Oscars as opposed to holding it for another two months and waiting until next year's Oscars? And what does that do? Is next year's Oscars going to be 12 months with the you know exception of the first two because we know the cutoff for this year's Oscars is going to be February 28th? So are, are movies that do roll out at Sundance if they don't want to be considered for this year's Oscars, are they going to cancel their rollout plans, their theatrical rollout plans and hold and try to create new momentum for 2021, even though they already did technically debut. I know there's the, the release prong is, is all up in the air now because all you have to do is release on, like you said, in certain cities or in drive-ins or there's all kinds of exceptions to it now. So I, I, I wonder what studios are going to give weight to in terms of all of this. I just I wonder if that the typical Oscar fair, right? A movie that, you know, a green book type film, Mm -hmm. you know, what is that movie this year? That could be the, the late breaker, like, uh, like million dollar baby, let's say. Right. But is it expected? I mean, if it's not expected, that's kind of where I'm going for. If a studio doesn't, doesn't, if they happen to catch lightning in a bottle, do they capitalize on it? And if they see an opening, Mike, Mm. and we've noticed a lot of openings thus far, we've talked about the fact that we don't have a lot of traditional Oscar nominees in a lot of categories thus far. It is a quote-unquote weaker field in many ways. A lot of the indie movies that we bemoan and we, you know, rage against the machine about that don't get nominated, that we're very happier in the conversation more than ever this year. A lot of female directors, a lot of silver linings involved. We've gotten a lot of great films. I'm going to see another bunch at these next two film festivals. But bottom line is, if studios don't, you know, these people are seasoned Oscar uh, right. campaigners at these big studios. Right. They're going to see all these little indies and see all those, you know, nice stories are we going to see big studio fair next year's Oscar, t- you know, those types of movies, the next Green Book or whatever? Are we going to see that jump into the race late and next goal wins? I don't know. You, ne- you never you never know. I think this fact that the drive-in is going to qualify these movies, this could be much more important than we realize. Yeah, you could be absolutely right. You've had a couple good uh, good theories today. I, 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 You're I, a monster. I was going to say, usually I'm the one wearing the tinfoil hat and trying to read leaves. So, uh, you, you know what? If I have to be Thanos for one of your conspiracy theories, I'll allow it. That's fine. <laughs> Um, I, I did. I didn't mean that you're a mo- you're a total monster. No, you I, said you what you said, and it's on tape, and you can't take it back now. It's you're cool. Kinda, you, you're kind of evil in terms of your the your ability. Let's just say it's 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 genius. Your ability to take credit for both sides, no matter what happens <laughs> with the Oscars. I don't like being wrong, Mike. <laughs> um, well, I think Sundance, regard for all the reasons you just hit on, is going to be fascinating this year and it's going to be our job to kind of keep an eye on the studio uh movement and what they do and their scheduling from there on out and what takes hold and why the studios are doing this uh this january and we're going to be giving you those news and updates all the way up to and through uh obviously this year's oscars and after this year's oscars we're already going to be basically halfway into next year's oscars so uh, a lot of stuff coming up and a lot of content uh, but as always guys what's most important is we want to hear from you we want to hear your thoughts 
thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything we did touch on in this episode or anything else we do here in the MMO Empire, you can leave us all of those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com, dot com, and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, and that includes the Apple Podcasts app. If you're listening to us on there right now, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, those truly help us out immensely. We thank everyone that has done so. Michael, uh, you've teased it already, but what's coming next from us, and what are some words of wisdom to end on here? Well, I think for one of the first times in the history of our podcast, we kind of know what's coming next for the next three weeks. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? <laughs> I am like more confident and assured than I've ever been. Like you usually keep me on my toes. Yeah, I think uh, I think we've agreed on schedule, and it's and it's pretty fun right now. We have movie review season, and it's movie review season before the awards season and we're going to review the trial of the chicago seven we're going to review minari which is a very mm. exciting from a24 stephen young there we're going to review one night in miami and obviously if we're reviewing something that's coming out early at a film festival we'll continue to do that in non-spoiler fashion so don't worry you can listen to those we'll do a big oscar lens etc etc and talk about categories where we think they might contend so th- that's fun over the next two weeks and after after that, we got the Scaries, the third yes. annual Scaries, the horror movie award show that we love to do. We're already starting to think about that. And I think we're still going to do the James Bond character study Spectre somewhere in there. So I think that is the slate from MMO coming up the rest of October. I know. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? We actually have like a month planned and we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll coast on that and it'll get to be the end of October and we'll have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> None. We'll be doing top fives about the weirdest shit. Here it comes. Words of wisdom, Michael? Uh, I, you're, you're a monster? I already said that? Yeah, uh, no, I, you've mentioned that once or twice, I think. I uh, I wonder, I really wonder if we're going to get some crazy shit going down at the end of this award season. I mean, with the way yeah. this year has gone... I mean, why wouldn't we get all this? Like, everybody's predicting all these movies right now, and I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it at all. I don't like these. Don't feel like sure things. And people are uh, on Twitter, etc., putting it out there like they're sure things. This like has got to be nominated. That's got to be nominated. I don't know. Hold your horses. What I, is what I'll say. And if you're in news of the world, get the horses to go faster. But <laughs> you're, everybody you're else, Mark Wahlberg hold your in the happening, just staring at plants right now, wondering <laughs> what the fuck is going on. That's right. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can come hold your horses with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make a horse season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.